<laughs> Everybody said, Amen. Um, I was telling Brother Renee early this morning when he and I were both here, I said, today's probably going to be more like class and study and lecture. I don't mean it that way. I don't think it's going to, but this is how it feels in my spirit. Um, the Bible says in the book of Hosea that the Lord's people were destroyed the reason they were destroyed was for a lack of knowledge. Um, we live in a day and an hour in which there's a lot of ignorance. Okay, I don't mean that in an unkind way. I mean it in the true sense of that word, ignorance. Ignorance is uninformed or unaware. They don't know. We live in a day and a time in which there's a lot of ignorance. Um, and the reason that is is because oftentimes... In this day and time, our source of information is not a very good source. Usually it's our phones for many. And your source, especially those that spend a ton of time on social media, is whatever talking head you plug into. And everybody's got something to say. And so we really need to be in the Word of God like never before. Not just reading it, but knowing what it says. And there is a lot going on in our world today, as you know and are aware. But we need some insight from the Word of God. And I feel a responsibility this morning. Um, it has been on my heart uh, for the last week. Um, and I feel a responsibility to us to understand what the Word says about some things in our world so that we're not ignorant. We're not ignorant. We need to be aware. We need to be aware. If we're not careful, we can put our head in the sand in North America and we'll go about our day. We're just like, oh, that's so terrible. And then we'll go do our thing. And I don't think we need to walk around in in. In grace, God, you know, we don't need to be Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, right? Oh, looks like rain, right? Sorry, some of you get that reference. Uh, I, I don't. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We, we should have the joy of the Lord. But we can have the joy of the Lord and understand the seriousness of the times. And so uh, that's, that's the foundation I want to give you today so you may understand this. I'd like to go to the book of Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. I would ask you, those of you who have children that are downstairs, to maybe take this today and in your own way uh, take these scriptures and this and teach it to your children. They should be aware of these things. They really should. Our children should be aware of this. Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 5. If you're there, say amen. All right. If you're not, it's on the screen. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan and into the land of Canaan they came. Now, if you go back to the first verse in that chapter, 
It's where the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And so what we just read in verse 5 is Abram getting up with his wife and with his nephew Lot, and they are going to the land that the Lord is going to show them into the land of Canaan they came. Verse 6, and by the way, Haran, in case you're wondering if you want to look on a map, Haran is modern-day Syria. It's, It's in what is now Syria. Okay, so if you want a little perspective, I want to bring, I want us to see the Word of God, but I want us to see it where it's at today too, okay? Verse 6, And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sychem, unto the plain of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. Verse 7, watch this verse, please. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, Unto your seed, everybody say, Abram's seed. That's really important. Unto your seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Go to Genesis chapter 16. Now this land... Just so you know, this land is where the nation of Israel is today. If you were to go and look at a map and look at what is called here the land of Canaan and this place of Sychem, however you say that word, I may be saying it wrong. But when you look at these places that are mentioned here, you will see that they are in what is modern-day Israel. The Lord spoke to Abram thousands of years ago and said, To your seed, I am giving this land. Okay? Genesis chapter 16. So just hold that there and remember that. and We'll seek to tie all this together by the help of the Lord this morning. Genesis chapter 16, verse number 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, remember the one that left Haran and went with him into the... All right. She bare him no children. She had a handmaiden. Now I want you to notice about her handmaid. Her handmaid was an Egyptian. Okay. She was an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. Now you should know Abram, his name means father. But he has no children. And so every time she calls his name, she's reminded. I'm going to talk about it being in your face all the time. Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me. This is Sarai speaking. Hath restrained me from bearing, I pray you. Go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. He should have asked the Lord what he thought about that before he just listened. Verse number three. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. That gives you a timeline now. They've been there in this place ten years. And gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. 
And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw, this is Sarai, when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Skip down to verse 16. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. All right, you got a picture here? Abram left what is now Syria at the word of the Lord and went into what is now modern-day Israel. The Lord said, I'm giving you this land. I'm giving it to your seed. Now Abram, the father, the man whose name means father, has no children by his wife Sarah, who is of his land. So he takes to him, at her advice, this Egyptian, not of his land, this Egyptian woman, and has this child, Ishmael. Got it? Okay, good. Genesis chapter 17. Don't worry, it's all going to come together. I know some of you are running ahead of me, but that's okay. Genesis 17, verse number 15. God said to Abraham, notice his name is now different. God has changed his name between when we just read chapter 16 and chapter where we are in chapter 17. Abraham, by the way, means father of many nations. <laughs> First it was just father and he had no kids. Now he had a child, but it's not with his God-given wife. And, this ch- and now the Lord changes his name and says father of many nations. All right, verse 15. God said to Abraham, as for Sarah thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her, watch, watch the word of the Lord. I will bless her and give you a son also of her. Yes, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. You believe the word of the Lord? Remember what that verse in Isaiah 55 that Brother Lewis quoted? So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall prosper in that thing whereto I sent it. I don't care if the Lord speaks something 2,000 years ago and it hasn't happened. It just means it wasn't time yet. The word of God endures forever. It will not return void. The word of God will accomplish what he sent it to do. And so we've got to go all the way back to Genesis to see this word of the Lord that is declared here. I will bless her. I'll give you a son of her. I will bless her and she'll be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Not of Hagar. Of her. The Lord was drawing this distinction for Abraham. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to him that is a hundred years old? Now, this is 14 years after Ishmael that we just read at the end of the, right? Because he was 86 when Ishmael was born. Now he's a hundred. It's been 14 years. That little boy that was born is now a teenager. And the Lord is talking to him again. 
See, we just read this like, oh, it was the very next chapter. No, life is happening, and he's got the word of God, and he's come into a land, and the Lord said, I'm going to give it to your seed. And he's been there 10 years, and he still has no seed to give it to. And so his wife says, take Hagar. Now he has a son. He's thinking, okay, now I've at least got some seed to give this land to. But then the Lord comes, changes his name, says, father of many nations, and says, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, I'm giving you a son by your wife, Sarah. And I'm going to bless her. And she's going to be the mother of nations. And kings of people are going to come from her. Not from Hagar. Not from the Egyptian maid. But from your wife that I gave you. It's coming from her. So now he's been in the land 24 years. 24 years. And to date, he has one 14-year-old seed to give the land to. God's word will not return void. Okay, verse we on seventeen. Oh, and he finishes his laughing question and says, "Shall Sarah, that is ninety years old, bear?" And Abraham said to God, "Watch, watch Abraham's words. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you." See, here's what happens. We see in Abraham's life, we see some of our own life. What happens is when the Lord gives us a word and speaks to us, and then time begins to pass and nothing happens, then we try to make something happen. And so then maybe we try to make something happen and we're able to make something happen. And then we start putting our hope in what we made happen. And then we ask God to bless what we made happen. Even though God still hasn't fulfilled his word, we stopped believing his word and started having confidence in what we produced in the flesh. And we start asking God to bless what we produced because it seems to be like what he said he would do. And therefore, we would settle for, God will not settle for, but we would settle for and give ourselves to praying, God, bless what I've done that sort of seems to be like what you said you were going to do. I'm just going to let you know something right now. You and I can never do what God said he would do. It requires him. Why do you think he let Abraham get to 100 and Sarah get to 80 or 90? Because I'm going to make sure you get to the point where when it happens, you understand. There's no way you did it. Only by the miracle working power of God could this be possible. For some of you, the word that God's spoken to you, he's just not letting it happen yet because you take credit. And he's going to do it in a way where you're like, oh, my goodness, only God could have done this. So here they are. And Abraham is pleading for what he produced in his flesh. God, because he loves Abraham, because he answers prayer even when it's not his will. I can give you a lot of scripture about that, but careful what you pray. Verse 19, God said, Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son indeed, and you shall call his name Isaac. All right? Watch these words of the Lord. These are important. And I, this is the Lord God, I will establish my covenant with him. Who's him? 
Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. Everlasting means everlasting, without end. And, not just with Isaac, with his seed after him. You got it? Verse 20. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I've blessed him. I'll make him fruitful. I'll multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. But just so you're clear, Abraham, verse 21, but my covenant will I establish with Isaac. I'm not establishing a covenant with something you produced in your flesh. I'm only establishing the covenant with what I produced by promise. Don't mistake the blessing of God on situations in your life for the approval of God. It's deception. God said he'd bless Ishmael, but God did not approve of Ishmael. God did not make a covenant with Ishmael. Ishmael was Abraham and Hagar and Sarah's doing. And God blessed Ishmael because Abraham asked him to. I'm not interested in God blessing my stuff. I want God to bless his stuff and let me participate in it with him. I'm interested in a covenant relationship, not just a blessed one. All right? You need to see this here. My covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. And he left off talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So now, we'll come back here in a second to Genesis, but I want you... You see what we've just shared and what we've walked through. We're going to fast forward a few thousand years really quickly, okay? And then we'll come back to Genesis here, 32 in a minute. Ishmael has descendants. Isaac has descendants. Those descendants are at war. Those descendants have been at war for thousands of years. They will continue to be at war. They will never have peace. It's Ishmael and Isaac. This is where it started, right here. And the issue is the Lord God of Abraham which both Ishmael and Isaac are of Abraham, so they both have Abraham to their father. You with me? But they have a different mother. And the covenant's based on the mother, not the father, not just the father. The Lord made the covenant based on the mother. 
because the child was the child of promise. All right? And so what do Ishmael and Isaac war over? They war over the inheritance of their father. And what is the inheritance of the father? Abram, I'm going to take you into the land which I will show you. And I'm going to show you this land. And I'm going to give it, Abram, to your seed after you. And so what's happening? I'll tell you what's happening. Abram's seed is warring over the land of Israel. One problem. Only one of the seed has a covenant with God. Is this making sense this morning? This is not political. This is spiritual. And the adversary and all the talking heads in our world would try to make it political and feeling oriented and, and oh, but these poor this. and No, no, no. You got to go back to the beginning and look at what the root cause is. Why are they fighting over land? And some would say, why don't they just give them more land? You don't understand. They have a promised inheritance. They have a covenant. I'm going to show you some more in the Word here in a second. I just need you to see where this all starts. Because here's what you're hearing in the media today from sympathizers. Here's what you're hearing. Well, go back 70 years. Anybody seen that, heard that? Go back 70 years and look at... No, no, see, here's the problem. you got to go back a few thousand years. Everybody only wants to go back to when it can point and make it favorable for their speaking terms. You got to go back to the beginning. And you got to go back to the word of God, not the word of man. You got to go back to the promise of God, not the promises of men, because they'll fail. You got to go back to the covenant of God. And God said, Abraham, I'm going to show you a land. And I'm not going to just give you that land. I'm going to give that land to your seed to possess. And Abraham, I'm going to give you and Sarah a son. And out of that woman, I'm going to bless her. And I'm going to bless nations out of her. And out of her, kings of people will come. My covenant's with her and her seed, not with that which you produce. I'm going to bless what you produced in your own fleshly, but I'm not making a covenant with them. Don't ever confuse the difference between what you produced in your flesh and what I promised by my spirit. Just because you have blessing in the flesh doesn't mean God's hand is upon it. It's temporal. It's temporal. But the promise to the covenant is eternal. The war is not political. It's eternal. I know it's a little different this morning. You guys are like, man, I was talking current events. You need to know what the Word says. You need to know what the Word says. Because I promise you, what's happening in Israel is affecting us. And we should be praying for Israel. And I know, I'm not ignorant. 
I know people say, well, that does that. Why are you praying for Israel? Do you not care about? Look, I care about lives being lost. But don't twist what has happened and taking place. And don't try to just go back to this point when you got to go all the way back to the word of God. All right. So let's go to Genesis 32. So, so, far, so far, we've talked about Abram and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, and Ishmael and Isaac. Now we see these two. Let's go to Genesis 32. We'll connect some dots here. I know some of you know this, but I, I want you to see it in the Word so you have it in the Word of God. Genesis chapter 32 and verse number 24. Isaac, you remember the one who the covenant's going to be with? Isaac has now had a son. Isaac had two sons. Esau and Jacob. You heard of them, right? And so, the Lord told Isaac that the elder would serve the younger. Remember that? Esau came out and Jacob grabbed hold of his heel. Jacob means heel grabber, in case you wondered. And uh, he grabbed hold of his heel, and the Lord said the elder would serve the younger. Now, remember that, Jacob and Esau? Is this ringing bells without going back and reading? All? We didn't have time this morning, or I'd have read it all. They got older, remember? Esau was a man of the field. Jacob was a plain man that dwelt in tents, the Bible says. Esau went out hunting, comes back in one day, tired, weary, worn, hungry, flesh, hungry. And Jacob is there making some soup. Know the story? He's got a bowl of red beans, this red soup that he's made. It's all kinds of typing shadows. We don't have time this morning. And Esau says, man, give me a bowl of soup or I'm going to die. I'm famished. My flesh has need. And Jacob says, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll satisfy your fleshly man if you'll give me a spiritual. If you'll give me what you have spiritually, I'll give. And, and Esau traded the spiritual for flesh. He gave up the spiritual to satisfy his flesh. And Jacob said, give me the birthright, and I'll give you the soup. And Esau made this statement, what's the birthright to me if I die of hunger? And he takes the bowl of soup, and he gives the birthright to Jacob. What's the birthright? The birthright says who gets the inheritance. You with me? See, you knew this was in there. You just didn't realize how much it meant, did you? It means something. All right? So Jacob. Jacob. You got Abraham. You got Isaac. And now you got Jacob. So Jacob. Watch. Oh, and by the way, Esau and Jacob. They, they were at war all their days pretty much, too. If you want to follow Esau's dependent, dependence, descendants, I guess dependents and descendants, Esau's dependents became known as the Edomites, E-D-O-M, Edom, the Edomites. Study and look how much they always were at 
issue with Israel. Matter of fact, when Israel came out of Egypt, they asked if they could just pass through the land of Edom. And the bitterness of Esau had passed through generations. It was so great that it said, no, you got to go around. They wouldn't even let their brother's ancestors pass through their land. It's another Bible study. There's so much in here. So you got Jacob. Jacob has the birthright. Isaac's son. Isaac, the one who's the covenant's with, right? The son, the promise. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of day, verse 25. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Verse 26. And he said, let me go, for the day breaks. And he said, I will not let you go except you bless me. This is Jacob speaking. And he said unto him, this is the angel that he wrestled with. And he said unto him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall, watch, your name shall be called no more Jacob, but what? What's your name now? Israel. This is the first mention of Israel. You're no longer Jacob, but now your name is Israel. Why? For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and you have prevailed. I'm changing your name from heel grabber to a prince that has power with God. Remember the promise to Sarah, Abram about Sarah? Kings of peoples. Well, to have kings of peoples, you got to have a prince. Israel, Jacob, you're not Jacob anymore. Now you are Israel. For as a prince, you have power with God. I promise you, every nation in the Middle East knows what Israel means. As sure as Abram's name was in the face of Sarah every day, father, no kids, father, no kids, father, no kids. Jordan, Syria, Iran, Iraq, Lebanon, all around Israel are Muslim. And right in the middle of all of them is this nation whose name means as a prince we have power with God. It stands in the face of what they believe they have. It's why they oppose all that Israel is. It's why they hate them with a hatred that will never be dispelled because it's spiritual, not political. And we need to understand this. Okay? So what happens? So Israel, Jacob, now Israel. He gets married. Yes? Twice. He loved it so much. (laughs) 
that or he was too much for one lady or I don't know. You fill in the blanks. I don't know. Israel, gets, he was deceived, right? And so his father-in-law said, oh, no, no, you got to take the oldest first. And so fair enough. So he gets, he has two wives and they have between them 12 sons. Yes, this making sense. I know you guys know that we're not reading it all. They have 12 sons. These 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And if you look, in case you never have, if you look at the maps in the back of your Bible, you could probably find a map of Israel that in the times of these tribes, after they came out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and they began to have, by Joshua, they have areas and places of land assigned to them, you will see the names of the land of the 12 tribes of Israel, and it is the fulfillment of the promise of God to Abram, I will give this land unto your seed. And you see the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, his 12 sons, Israel's 12 sons, possess the land of Israel, the land that Abram walked on, according to the promise in Genesis 12 that we read. And you can see all those places, and it became the land of Israel. You with me? Now, so, when Egypt took them captive and took the land away, and then 400 years of bondage, right? Now, obviously, this was before the 12 tribes were given the land. But the 12 tribes went into bondage in Egypt, 75 people. And when they came out of Egypt, they were a great nation after 400 years. See, even bondage couldn't destroy God's promise. And that's what he tries to do. This is a pattern. You need to understand this. Egypt was simply one of many that sought to destroy the seed of promise. Egypt sought to destroy the seed of promise. That was the whole purpose in holding them in bondage, but they couldn't destroy. You say, hold on, what do you mean they tried? Remember, the, remember this in Egypt? Every child under two years, when a child is born of those Hebrews, I want you to take that child, I want you to put them, throw them in the Nile River. Remember that? What was it? I'll tell you exactly what it was. It was this spirit that's trying to destroy the seed promised covenant to Abraham, or the promised covenant to Abraham's seed. It's exactly what it was. 75 people went in, and they tried to destroy them. But estimates are that one to two million left 400 years later. Even in bondage and in affliction, the promised people of God continued to grow and flourish. This is God's pow the power of God's word. And so they left Egypt by a mighty hand, the blood on the doorpost, right? The Passover, remember that? The Passover, they came. They came through the Red Sea. I know you know the story. The Lord destroyed the Egyptians in the Red Sea. Their oppressors, he destroyed them in the Red Sea. Egypt, or Egypt, Israel ultimately came into the land of Israel, and the 12 tribes were given land, like I just mentioned to you all ago. They began to violate the word of God, and so Babylon takes them into captivity. 
And what's happening? Babylon's going to try to destroy the promise. But it just can't happen. The Lord said, even in your captivity, I'm going to bless you. And he did. And then he put it in the heart. And we see those, and you read it throughout the Old Testament, and you see Nehemiah going back and building walls, and you see Zerubbabel going back and building the temple, and you see these different things, and we don't have time for all of it this morning. But it's all this, what's happening. They're trying to destroy the promise. Abraham, in your seed, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. And I'm giving that land you walked on to your seed. And it would seem, and, and again, you can see it through generations. We don't have time to go through all of history this morning. Go study it. In Christ's day, it was the Romans. And the idea is the way that we'll destroy a people is we'll displace them. And if we can displace them, they will cease to exist. But even in affliction, they became stronger. What do you think Hitler was in the 1939-45 era trying to destroy Jews? It's the same spirit. It shows up in the political. Why does it show up in the political and governmental regions? Because there are spirits affect governmental regions and reigns. And so he's trying to destroy. The adversary is looking... Why did the adversary seek to crucify Jesus? The adversary is always trying to destroy the prophetic word of God. Always. The adversary believes the word of God more than we do. And so the adversary is always working to destroy the prophetic word of God. This is why when Christ was born, Herod began to have children two years old and under killed. Right? And the Bible says, talks about Jacob lamenting, right? And his wife lamenting over the loss of their children. That prophetic word was because of the death of, the, of Jews during the days of Christ's birth and all those boys being killed that were born under the two years at Herod's word. But even then, even then, the adversary could not destroy the seed of promise. Why is the adversary so interested in destroying the seed of promise? I'll tell you why. Because you go all the way back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And the Lord God said, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, he said the seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of the serpent. And so the adversary says, if I can destroy the seed of the woman, I can keep my head from being bruised. But I'm telling you, he cannot destroy the seed of promise. And so you see this rise up again. You can read through history. We're touching some high-level points today that you've heard or you know. But I'm telling you, you see it through history. What's happening? The adversary's trying to destroy the seed of promise. He'll never do it. He'll never do it. Why was the early church, perse- Why was the early church persecuted so greatly? Because it was the promised seed of Abraham. The spiritual seed of Abraham In you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That's the spiritual blessing of Abraham that's come upon us when we receive the spirit of promise. Why do you think that Jesus said in Luke 24, I'll send the promise of the Father? It's a spiritual promise to Abraham. Now, I know I'm a little all over the place, but we don't have time. I told you I could take four hours today, but we won't. But we need to know what's going on in our world. And understand the root of it and know why.
So Israel's displaced. They have no place that's home. They're all over. Hitler tried to destroy them. was unsuccessful. Even though millions died, even in their affliction, they remained. So go to the book of Amos. I'm hurrying here. Amos chapter 9. I'm going to trust those guys back there because I'm going to go a bunch of places quick. Amos chapter number 9. Watch verse 13. Behold, Amos is prophesying here, okay? This is a pre- and to give you a timeline, this word of the Lord through Amos is about 750 years or so before the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, it's about 750 years B.C. to give you an idea of the timeline. So this is about 2,800 years ago. All right. Listen what Amos says under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Holy men of God spake as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost, Peter told us. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him that sows seed. And the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. Watch. What's he talking about? Verse 14. And I, who's I? Who's I? The Lord God. I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel. And what will they do? They will build the wasted cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. Next verse. And I will watch. Who's talking? The Lord God. And I will plant them. Who? The people of Israel. I will plant them upon their land. And watch. They shall no more be pulled up out of their land which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. 2,800 years ago, the Lord through Amos said, I'm going to take them back out of their captivity and I'm going to put them on their land. I'm going to plant them on their land and they will never be pulled up again. When you hear Israel declare these two words, never again, this is what they're talking about right here. They're referencing back to the prophetic word of Amos and they're saying never again. We have a word of the Lord that this land is ours and will never again be uprooted like we have throughout history. This is why you hear and see these words never again. They're referencing this scripture right here. They're not just giving talking points. They are standing on the word of God. They shall no more be pulled up. It's in the word. Now, you got to know, in 1900, this word had not been fulfilled. When Hitler was destroying Jews, this word had not been fulfilled. They had no land. Watch Ezekiel chapter 37. 
Ezekiel 37 and 10. I hope this is okay this morning. I think we need to know the word of God and see what's in it. Ezekiel 37 verse 10. Listen to what Ezekiel says. So I prophesied as he, the Lord, commanded me. Now, we didn't read the first nine verses. Most of you know this story or this place in Scripture. It's where, it's where Ezekiel saw the Valley of Dry Bones. Yes, Valley of Dry Bones. And he prophesied, at the, the Spirit you know, said, uh, sinew come upon them, muscle come upon them, skin come upon them, and wind from the four corners and breathe into them. And they became a great army, exceeding great army. This is that. And so this has now happened. He's done that. And they were a great army raised up. That which looked to be dead, had no life. It was all the way down to the bone. It seemed like it would no longer exist. It wasn't just dead laying in a field with skin on it. It was dead. The birds had picked it. They were dried bones. He wanted us to see how hopeless the situation looked. And he's describing Israel. And so he prophesied. As he commanded me, and the breath came into them. At this point, they've already had the sinew come on them. They've had muscle come on them. They have skin come on them. And now he's prophesying, and breath came into these people. And they lived, and they stood up on their feet, an exceeding great army. This valley that was full of dead, dry bones that seemed to no longer have any chance of life. They, this happened at the prophetic word of Ezekiel. Verse 11. Then he said unto me, Son of man, watch, these bones are what? These bones are the whole house of Israel. What does the house of Israel say? They say our bones are dried. Our hope is lost. We're simply cut off for our parts now. Divided, broken, no longer together. Verse 12. Therefore prophesy and say to Israel, them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves, and I'll cause you to come out of your graves, and I'll bring you, where? It's in the Word. Next verse. And you'll know. That I'm the Lord. When I have opened your graves, O oh my people, and I've brought you up out of your graves. Next verse. And I shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live. And you shall live. And I shall place you where? In your own land. Then shall you know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. These words were prophesied about 570 to 600 years before Christ. So they were about 200 or so years, give or take, from Amos' prophecy later. But the Lord wanted them to remember Hey, what, what your forefathers told you, 150, 200, I want you to know. And he wanted the generation later to know. And the genera Don't you know after a thousand years this all looked hopeless? This is why when Christ was getting ready to ascend into heaven, you hear the disciples asking him in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, 6, 7, Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? 
What is it? They're looking to be put back in their land. They're looking to be restored to their land. And the Lord said, it's not for you to know the times of the season which the Father has put in his own power. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. It's in there, Acts 1, 6, 7, 8. But the Jews have held to this word. Amos, Ezekiel. So what happened? I'll tell you what happened. 1947, 1948. There were displaced Arab refugees from the Ottoman Empire. This, this goes all the way back to the Ottoman Empire, which is now Turkey, in case you, for those non-history students. If you go all the way back to the nation of Turkey, the Ottoman Empire, there begin to be... And so they would, through time, Arab refugees would just be put over into this place that used to be Israel. But now Egypt had part of it, Syria part of the Ottoman Empire had part of it, Turkey and all this, right? And so they're just displacing them. And the British have now, and they've, the British are sending people there and, and this land of Palestine, okay? That's what the area is called. There is no nation or people. It was simply the name of a land. You can study that at a different time. We don't have time today. Or we can get together and talk about it, but okay. Well, Britain said, hey, the United Nations said, we're going to give Israel, they need a state so they'll stop being persecuted. We should give them land and there should be a Jewish state. Go study your history. They went before the UN and said, this is the way we should do this. We should create a Jewish state so that these Jews can have their own land and this will keep them from continually being persecuted the way that they find all over the, that's happened throughout time again and again and again. This was on the heels of Hitler having done everything in 19, right? World War II ended in 1945. So this is just a couple, three years later. They're trying to. And so they gave the Jews back their land. The word of Ezekiel and the word of Amos was fulfilled. They didn't do any. You could have never seen it coming. And on May the 14th, I believe it was, May the 14th or 16th, I think it was the 14th, of 1948. You guys didn't know you were going to get history today, did you? May the 14th of 1948, which, by the way, happened to be Pentecost. Go look. It happened to be at Pentecost. Ben-Gurion declared Israel an independent state, an independent nation. And the day after Britain pulled out of that region and turned it over to Israel, the same day Egypt and Syria and Lebanon and I can't remember one or two others attacked Israel. Iran. The next day they attacked them. They no longer, no sooner were back on the land given them. And the very next day, such, search it out in your history, those nations all around them immediately attacked them. 
And they want to say, and you know what the you know what the story is? Here's the story. This was our land, Arabs, descendants of Ishmael. Remember Ishmael? Descendants of Ishmael said, no, no. What you did is you got us to leave, and then you gave it to the Jews, Isaac. You gave Isaac our land. Oh, no, they didn't give Isaac your land. They gave Isaac back what was his. You gave it up a long time ago. The covenant was never with you. The covenant was with Isaac. And then, just in case you thought you had some other means to it, no, no, Esau even gave up the birthright. It was Isaac and it was Israel. It's his land. And this is what they're fighting over to this day. To this day. You got to know the word of God. You got to see it in the word of God. And so Israel became a nation in the most unlikeliest of ways. The hand of God performed it. He spoke it and he performed it. And if you look at that word there in Ezekiel 37 that's on the screen. It was about 2,500 years after Ezekiel said that. Brother Lewis, his word will not return void. It will accomplish what he sends it to do. But I promise you, people say, why, is it, why won't Israel just give up some land to, this is why. Because they understand. We know what we're dealing with. You that are on the outside looking in that want to pass judgment and get all touchy-feely and warm and fuzzy and have all these things, you don't understand. We know thousands of years of history. And you think, oh, yeah, just give up. It doesn't work that way. They're trying to get us to give up what is rightfully ours. The descendants of Ishmael are Arabs. The descendants of Isaac are Israelis. And so the Arabs and the Israelis, Isaac and Ishmael, will always war. The descendants of Ishmael are Muslim. The descendants of Isaac are Jewish. They will always war. It's an interesting thing. I'm, her I'm coming to finish here. Any remember, how many of you were living during 9-11? Most of us. I remember when that happened. I remember where I was. I, was I, got a, I got a phone call. Matter of fact, I was up early in the morning praying. I was unaware. I got a phone call from a man said they were scared. What just happened to you? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And they began to tell me what took place. I didn't have, they, we didn't have smartphones then, so I couldn't just grab my phone and see what was up. So he told me. Um, you remember our response was very swift as a nation. We began to respond. That's when we began to say, okay, we're going to deal with this. We got involved in the Middle East. Remember that? So go read about it. 
Again, this is spiritual, but we need to understand what's happening in our world and see how all these things work. Why do you think that so many of those nations hate the United States? I'll tell you why. Because the United States historically has stood with Israel. They don't hate us just because they hate us. They hate us because we stand with Israel. And so... That's why they, why do they want to harm the U.S.? Because the U.S. stands with Israel. Why the 9-11 attacks? Let's hit at the financial center, what they believe the financial center. Let's deal a blow to those that support Israel. I promise you, they hate anyone and everyone. Why do you think they hate the U.K.? Same reason. Anyone that stands with Israel. It's spiritual. Okay? So you remember 9-11. It was an interesting thing for me. I learned something then that I had never known in my life. I had a friend, a friend who was an Arab, and I would, he had a restaurant, and I would go to his restaurant sometime on lunch. It was close to my job, and we had a good relationship. And uh, so uh, a very kind man, and so I was concerned about him because of what 9-11 was doing in the environment and how people were looking. You know, I, I didn't want him to be, right? I, I was just concerned for him and some backlash he may be feeling right, unnecessarily. And so I went and I was having lunch one day there, and uh, it, it was later in the afternoon, so nobody else was there but him and I, and I'm talking to him. And I, how you doing? How you doing? And he began to talk to me, and for the first time, this small man, again, very kind, always friendly, always kind. I just enjoyed, for the first time, it was like a spirit had come over him, and there was so much hatred coming out of him speaking to me. I couldn't believe it. It caught me so by surprise. It was just hatred. I, I was like blown away. I, 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 I recognized, okay, this isn't him. This is a spirit that's rising up because of this. And he said he was doing okay. And in our exchange, I can't remember how we got there, but in our exchange, I made this statement. I started talking about, Abraham taking Isaac up on Mount Moriah. Remember the story, Genesis 22? The Lord, you remember these words of the Lord? Abraham, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac. That's what the Lord said. He only viewed Isaac as his son. He didn't even acknowledge what Abraham had produced in his flesh. He said, read it in Genesis 22. He said, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, unto the place that I'll show you. And so I'm having this conversation with my friend talking about and he makes this statement to me. He says, I know that story, but you have it wrong. I said, oh, he said, we have that story. I said, tell me. He said, he did not take Isaac. He took Ishmael to the mountain. Anybody ever heard that before? I may have shared that with somebody. I got, when I heard that, it's like everything opened up. Why do you think they're fighting over a mountaintop? Why do you think the Temple Mount in Jerusalem 
is so valuable to both of them, the Arabs and the Israelis, the Muslims and the Jews. People say, oh, they're just fighting over land. Oh, it's far more than land. It is a spiritual battle that's taking place in our world. Please stand with me so I can give you hope. Again, I know this is different this morning. I, I'm not apologizing to you. I just, I, I think we need to know these things. We need to understand from the Word of God. We cannot be ignorant. Okay? Now, I have been grieved. That's not a good idea. I have been grieved by what I have recognized as the pull that this deception is having on youth. The younger generation, especially, and maybe some of you in this room, the younger generation, especially, who gets a lot of their information from social media and from influencers, most of which are, I'm not going to say that, Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Almost came out. They are not good sources. Okay. They all have an agenda. And many of them are under the influence of spirits that they have no clue. Okay. And our young people are influenced by them because they follow them on social media. All right. I can tell you one right now. Many of you may not know who this is. Some of you may. If you do, great. If you don't, don't go look. It doesn't matter. Okay. There is a man that is under house arrest in Romania. But he has a huge social media following. And he's considered to be this person that can tell you what it is to be a man. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. His name is Andrew Tate. And he's pro-Palestinian. He's a Muslim. And he's influencing thousands, probably even millions of young men especially. And his claim to fame is I have no clue. If you're following him, you probably should stop. Okay? But there are these influencers that are feeding our young people especially. And so we need to know what the Word of God says. And our children, our youth need to know what the Word of God says so we understand this is a spiritual battle. And we don't become sympathetic to deception. You understand, we're not against people. We're not wrestling with flesh and blood. I grieve over the loss of life. You understand? I, there were no Israelis dancing in the streets when they got word that Palestinians had died. There were no mass demonstrations celebrating and shouting and rejoicing over pictures of dead Palestinians in Israel. You understand? 
but flip it. It's spiritual. It is spiritual. And so we need to recognize so that we know how to pray. Okay? Because Israel's still surrounded. But nobody's taken them out of that land. It's not going to happen because of the Word of God. Now, I want to read one other place while you're standing, and I'll let you, we'll let us go. Book of Psalms, chapter 121. I appreciate your patience and your openness this morning. Psalm 121. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer your foot to be moved. He that keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he that keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade upon your right hand. The sun shall not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Now, I hold to that word spiritually for my life. But you cannot dismiss verse number four. He that keeps Israel forevermore. Forevermore. So what does all this mean to the church? Well, it means we're aware. It means we pray for Israel. And I pray for the souls that are Arabs, too. You understand? I pray for their souls. But I pray God grant wisdom, direction, instruction, revelation to Israel to see and to know what they ought to do. Now, you can read. We're not going to go there today for sake of time. But you can read in First Chronicles chapter 12 and 32 about one of the descendants of Israel named Issachar, or Issachar, depending on how you choose to say it. The thing that was said about those descendants of Israel is that they knew the time. But not only did they know the time, but they knew what to do. That was the beautiful thing about the tribe of Issachar. They knew the time and they knew what to do. As a church, the church of the living God, we need to know the time. And we should know what we ought to do given the time. I got a whole nother Bible study that's turned into my spirit because of all this. Because I'm marked by the time that it happened as well, which is really significant. And we'll probably, maybe, I don't know, talk about that somewhere along the journey if the Lord lets me. But it's prophetic. It's one of the Old Testament symbols that hasn't yet been fully revealed, but it hasn't happened to happen at this time. And so what that means, I don't know. But it has me digging in the word of God to understand what could be right in front of us. As a church, we should pray and we should be aware. We shouldn't be afraid. Hear me. We shouldn't be afraid. What we should go is, it's urgent. 
The hour is urgent. I need to tell whoever I can about the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to reach to every soul I can. I need to gather every... It's harvest time. It's harvest time. That's what it means. It's the time of harvest. By the way, that, they were celebrating the time of harvest when this attack happened. They were having their holiday celebrating harvest when this attack happened. It's the time of harvest. We need to know the time. We don't need to hide in fear. We need to go in faith. We need to declare the truth of the word of God and reach. Say, hey, you need to repent of your sins. You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. You need to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. He's coming back soon. He's coming back soon, and you need to be ready. We need to be aware of the time and act while it's day. We don't be afraid. Just know the time and we work. I'll leave you with this and I'm going to dismiss you. Hamas. Some of you I shared this with the other night. Uh, let me say this first. Don't overconsume media. If you're spending time online, whatever your source is, you need to limit how much you consume. Be aware, but don't be engrossed. There's so much noise out there. You won't be, if you want to get, I encourage you, go with me. Dig into the Word of God and let's see what's going on. Dig in the Word of God and let's see what's going on. I'm not telling you cut off all the news. I think it's good to be aware. But you can get so caught up in every, you can spend hours if you're not careful. I've probably spent two and a half in the last week, and I think I've probably spent more than I should. But I just, I want to be aware. But now I'm just in the Word, in the Word. I want to know what's going on. Hamas. To the Arabs in the Arabic language, it is the, it comes from, it's an acronym. It started as an acronym. I can't remember what it all, it was like this long liberation movement, something. And they take the first letters of those and made the acronym HMS originally. And then it became known ultimately as Hamas. They just transliterated that acronym into Hamas. All right. Hamas in Arabic means zeal or passion. Zeal or passion. But Hamas is found 59, depending on which way you read it, 60 times in the Old Testament as well. The, the Hebrew word Hamas is found 59 or 60 times in the Old Testament. And every time it's found in the Old Testament, it means one of usually three things. Violence, cruelty, or oppressor in the Hebrew. Now, here's something that stands out to me, and I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm going to have to let you go or we will be here longer. You can read in Genesis chapter 6 where it's talking about the days of Noah before the Lord destroyed the earth by flood. And it says that hearts, men's hearts were evil continually. Anybody ever read that? Their thoughts were evil continually and wickedness and violence. Hamas is right there in that verse. And the hearts of men in that time led the Lord to repent that he'd ever made man. 
and destroy the earth. I'm not prophesying to you. I'm not trying to make something mean something. I'm just telling you what I'm reading and what's dealing with my heart. When I was searching that word and I came there and found that mention at first and I'm reading about that, my mind immediately went to Matthew 24. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. There's a scripture that speaks against loving violence. I'm a little concerned by some people's infatuation with mixed martial arts and UFC and watching people just get obliterated and beat up. I really am. I'm really concerned by that. It's, it's a dangerous thing. And the Bible says, speaks woe to them that love violence. You think it's entertainment, it's not. Sorry, that's a side. That word that love violence is Hamas. The word of God endures forever. The word of God endures forever. Can we thank the Lord that his word is here for us today? Could you do that before we go? Lord, we thank you for your goodness, your mercy, for your word. Thank you for helping us to see and know. I pray let it provoke in us a willingness to dig into the Word and study the Word. Let it provoke in us a heart to pray for your people. We pray for Israel. We pray for the souls of men caught up in the midst of this spiritual battle. I pray, Lord, let there be a great harvest. Let us as a church recognize the time and know what we ought to do. In the name of Jesus, let us purpose to get in the church, to stay in the church, to do the work of the kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we thank you, Lord.